If you're enjoying Send Me to Sleep, make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. Also, if you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All of this really helps the show reach new listeners. And you never know, your review may convince someone to listen and lead them to a good night's rest, which I hope you all agree is worth sharing. Thanks so much for your listenership and support. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew, and I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight and taken this time for yourself to ensure you get a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 26 and 27 of The Scarlet Pimpernel by Emma Ortsey. In the last chapter, Chauvelin came face to face with Percy Blakeney. In tonight's story, Marguerite will be close on the heels of Chauvelin as he races to catch up with the Scarlet Pimpernel. This story has been edited slightly to omit negative cultural stereotypes of the time. If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cosy. Take a deep, relaxing breath and settle your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now all you need to do is follow the sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 26 The Trader It took Marguerite some time to collect her scattered senses. The whole of this last short episode had taken place in less than a minute, and Disgas and the soldiers were still about 200 yards away from the Chat Grease. When she realized what had happened, a curious mixture of joy and wonder filled her heart. It all was too neat, so ingenious. Chauvelin was still absolutely helpless, far more so than he could even have been under a blow from the fist, for now he could neither see, nor hear, nor speak, whilst his cunning adversary had quietly slipped through his fingers. Blakeney was gone, obviously to try and join the fugitives at Pierre Blanchard's hut. For the moment, true, Chauvelin was helpless. For the moment, the daring Scarlet Pimpernel had not been caught by Disgas and the men. But all the roads and the beach were patrolled. Every place was watched, and every stranger kept in sight. How far could Percy go, thus arrayed in his gorgeous clothes, without being sighted and followed? Now she blamed herself terribly for not having gone down to him sooner 
and given him that word of warning and of love, which, perhaps, after all, he needed. He could not know of the order which Chauvelin had given for his capture, and even now, perhaps. But before all these horrible thoughts had taken concrete form in her brain, she heard the grounding of arms outside, close to the door, and Descasse's voice shouting, Halt! to his men. Chauvelin had partially recovered, his sneezing had become less violent, and he had struggled to his feet. He managed to reach the door just as Discas's knock was heard on the outside. Chauvelin threw open the door, and before his secretary could say a word, he had managed to stammer between two sneezes. The tall stranger, quick, did any of you see him? Where, Citoyen? asked Discas in surprise. Here, man, through that door, not five minutes ago. We saw nothing, Citoyen. The moon is not yet up, and... And you are just five minutes too late, my friend, said Chauvelin, with concentrated fury. Citoyen, I... You did what I ordered you to do, said Chauvelin, with impatience. I know that, but you were a precious long time about it. Fortunately, there's not much harm done, or it had fared ill with you, Citoyen Descas. Descas turned a little pale. There was so much rage and hatred in his superior's whole attitude. The tall stranger, Citoyen, he stammered, was here, in this room, five minutes ago, having supper at that table. Damn his impudence. For obvious reasons, I dared not tackle him alone. Brogard is too big a fool, and that cursed Englishman appears to have the strength of a bullock, and so he slipped away under your very nose. He cannot go far without being sighted, Citoyen. Ah? Uh? Captain Jutley sent forty men as reinforcements for the patrol duty. Twenty went down to the beach. He again assured me that the watch had been constant all day, and that no stranger could possibly get to the beach or reach a boat without being sighted. That's good. Do the men know their work? They have had very clear orders, Citoyen, and I myself spoke to those who were about to start. They are to shadow, as secretly as possible, any stranger they may see, especially if he be tall, or stoop as if he would disguise his height. In no case to detain such a person, of course, said Chauvelin eagerly. That impudent Scarlet Pimpernel would slip through clumsy fingers. We must let him get to the Pierre Planchard's hut now. There, surround and capture him. The men understand that, Citoyen, and also that, as soon as a tall stranger has been sighted, he must be shadowed, whilst one man is to turn straight back and report to you. That's right, said Chauvelin, rubbing his hands, well pleased. I have further news for you, Citoyen. What is it? 
A tall Englishman had a long conversation about three quarters of an hour ago with a trader, Reuben by name, who lives not ten paces from here. Yes, and? queried Chauvelin impatiently. The conversation was all about a horse and cart, which the tall Englishman wished to hire, and which was to have been ready for him by eleven o'clock. It is past that now. Where does that Reuben live? A few minutes' walk from this door. Send one of the men to find out if the stranger has driven off in Reuben's cart. Yes, Citoyen. Descas went to give the necessary orders to one of the men. Not a word of this conversation between him and Chauvelin had escaped Marguerite, and every word they had spoken seemed to strike at her heart with terrible hopelessness and dark foreboding. She had come all this way, and with such high hopes and firm determination to help her husband, and so far she had been able to do nothing but to watch, with a heart-breaking anguish, the meshes of the deadly net closing round the daring Scarlet Pimpernel. He could not now advance many steps without spying eyes to track and denounce him. Her own helplessness struck her with the terrible sense of utter disappointment. The possibility of being the slightest use to her husband had become almost nil, and her only hope rested in being allowed to share his fate, whatever it might ultimately be. For the moment, even the chance of ever seeing the man she loved again had become a remote one. Still, she was determined to keep a close watch over his enemy, and a vague hope filled her heart that whilst she kept Chauvelin in sight, and a vague hope filled her heart that whilst she kept Chauvelin in sight, Percy's fate might still hang in the balance. Descas had left Chauvelin moodily pacing up and down the room, whilst he himself waited outside for the return of the man whom he sent in search of Reuben. Thus several minutes went by. Chauvelin was evidently devoured with impatience. Apparently, he trusted no one. This last trick played upon him by the daring Scarlet Pimpernel had made him suddenly doubtful of success, unless he himself was there to watch, direct, and superintend the capture of this impudent Englishman. About five minutes later, Disgast returned, followed by an elderly trader in a dirty, threadbare cloak worn greasy across the shoulders. A general coating of grime about his cheeks and his chin gave him a peculiar and loathsome appearance. Chauvelin, who had all the Frenchman's immediate and undeserving distaste towards the man, motioned to the fellow to keep a respectful distance. The group of the three men were standing just underneath the hanging oil lamp, and Marguerite had a clear view of all of them. Is this the man? asked Chauvelin. No, Citoyen, replied Descas. Reuben could not be found, so presumably his cart has gone with the stranger. But this man here seems to know something, 
which he is willing to sell for a consideration. Ah, said Chauvelin, turning away in disgust from the man. The trader, with patience, stood humbly on one side, leaning on a thick knotted staff, his greasy, broad-brimmed hat casting a deep shadow over his grimy face, waiting for the noble excellency to deign to put some questions to him. The citoyen tells me, said Chauvelin peremptorily to him, that you know something of my friend, the tall Englishman, whom I desire to meet. More blue, keep your distance, man, he added hurriedly, as the trader took a quick and eager step forward. Yes, your excellency, replied the trader, who spoke the language with a peculiar lisp. I and Reuben Rummage met a tall Englishman on the road, close by here this evening. Did you speak to him? He spoke to us, your excellency. He wanted to know if he could hire a horse and cart to go down the St. Martin Road to a place he wanted to reach tonight. What did you say? I did not say anything, said the trader in an injured tone. Reuben Rummage, that accursed traitor, cut that short man, interrupted Chauvelin roughly, and go on with your story. He took the words out of my mouth, your excellency. When I was about to offer the wealthy Englishman my horse and cart, to take him wheresoever he chose, Reuben had already spoken and offered him his half-starved nag and his broken-down cart. And what did the Englishman do? He listened to Reuben Rummage, your excellency, and put his hand in his pocket there and then, and took out a handful of gold, which he showed to that dastardly man, telling him that all that would be his, if the horse and cart were ready for him by eleven o'clock. And, of course, the horse and cart were ready? Well, they were ready in a manner, so to speak, your excellency. Reuben's nag was lame as usual. She refused to budge at first. It was only after a time, and with plenty of kicks, that she had at last been made to move, said the trader with a malicious chuckle. Then they started. Yes, they started about five minutes ago. I was disgusted with that stranger's folly. An Englishman, too. He ought to have known Reuben's nag was not fit to drive. But if he had no choice... No choice, your excellency, protested the trader in a rasping voice. Did I not repeat to him a dozen times that my horse and cart would take him quicker and more comfortably than Reuben's bag of bones? He would not listen. Reuben is such a liar and has insinuating ways. The stranger was deceived. If he was in a hurry, he would have had better value for his money by taking my cart. You have a horse and cart too then? asked Chauvelin peremptorily. Aye, that I have, your excellency. And if your excellency wants to drive, 
Do you happen to know which way my friend went in Reuben Rummage's cart? Thoughtfully, the trader rubbed his chin. Marguerite's heart was beating well nigh to bursting. She had heard the preemptory question. She looked anxiously at the trader, but could not read his face beneath the shadow of his broad-brimmed hat. Vaguely, she felt somehow as if he held Percy's fate in his long, dirty hands. There was a long pause whilst Chauvelin frowned impatiently at the stooping figure before him. At last, the trader slowly put his hand in his breast pocket and drew out from its capacious depths a number of silver coins. He gazed at them thoughtfully, then remarked in a quiet tone of voice, This is what the tall stranger gave me when he drove away with Reuben for holding my tongue about him and his doings. Chauvelin shrugged his shoulders impatiently. How much is there then? he asked. Twenty francs, your excellency, replied the trader, and I have been an honest man all my life. Chauvelin, without further comment, took a few pieces of gold out of his pocket, and leaving them in the palm of his hand, he allowed them to jingle as he held them towards the trader. How many gold pieces are here in the palm of my hand? he asked quietly. Evidently, he had no desire to terrorize the man, but to conciliate him for his own purposes, for his manner was pleasant and suave. No doubt he feared the threats of the guillotine and various other persuasive methods of that type might addle the old man's brain, and that he would be more likely to be useful through greed of gain than through terror of death. The eyes of the old trader shot a quick, keen glance at the gold in his interlocutor's hand. At least five, I should say, Your Excellency, he replied obsequiously. Enough, do you think, to loosen that honest tongue of yours? What does Your Excellency wish to know? Whether your horse and cart can take me where I can find my friend, the tall stranger, who was driven off in Reuben Rummage's cart. My horse and cart can take your honour there, where you please. To a place called the Pierre Blancard's Hut. Your honour has guessed, said the trader in astonishment. You know the place. I know it, your honour. Which road leads to it? The St. Martin Road, your honour, then a footpath from there to the cliffs. You know the road, repeated Chauvelin, roughly. Every stone, every blade of grass, your honour, replied the trader quietly. Chauvelin, without another word, threw the five pieces of gold one by one before the trader, who knelt down and on his hands and knees struggled to collect them. One rolled away, and he had some trouble to get it, for it had lodged underneath the dresser. Chauvelin quietly waited while the old man scrambled on the floor to find the piece of gold. 
When the trader was again on his feet, Chauvelin said, How soon can your horse and cart be ready? They are ready now, your honour. Where? Not ten metres from this door. Will your excellency deign to look? I don't want to see it. How far can you drive me in it? As far as the Pierre Blanchard's hut, your honour, and further than Reuben's nag took your friend. I'm sure that, not two leagues from here, we shall come across the wily Reuben, his nag, his cart, and the tall stranger, all in a heap in the middle of the road. How far is the nearest village from here? On the road which the Englishman took, Michelon is the nearest village, not two leagues from here. There he could get fresh conveyance, if he wanted to go further. He could, if he ever got so far. Can you? Will your excellency try? said the trader, simply. That is my intention, said Chauvelin, very quietly. But remember, if you have deceived me, I shall tell off two of my most stalwart soldiers to give you such a beating that your breath will perhaps leave your ugly body forever. But if we find my friend, the tall Englishman, either on the road or at the Pierre Blanchard's hut, there will be ten more gold pieces for you. Do you accept the bargain? The trader again thoughtfully rubbed his chin. He looked at the money in his hand, then at his stern interlocutor, and at Disgas, who had stood silently behind him all this while. After a moment's pause, he said deliberately, I accept. Go and wait outside then, said Chauvelin, and remember to stick to your bargain, or by heaven, I will keep mine. With a final, most abject and cringing bow, the old trader shuffled out of the room. Chauvelin seemed pleased with his interview, for he rubbed his hands together with the usual gesture of his, of malignant satisfaction. My coat and boots, he said to Disgas at last. Disgas went to the door and apparently gave the necessary orders, for presently a soldier entered, carrying Chauvelin's coat, boots and hat. He took off his satane beneath which he was wearing close-fitting breeches and a cloth waistcoat, and began changing his attire. You, Citoyen, in the meanwhile, he said to discuss, go back to Captain Jutley as fast as you can, and tell him to let you have another dozen men, and bring them with you along to the St. Martin Road, where I dare say you will soon overtake the trader's cart with myself in it. There will be hot work presently, if I mistake not, in the Pierre Blanchard's hut. We shall corner our game there, I'll warrant, for this impudent Scarlet Pimpernel has had the audacity, or the stupidity, I hardly know which, to adhere to his original plans. He has gone to meet de Tournay St. Just and the other traitors, which for the moment I thought, perhaps, he did not intend to do. 
When we find them, there will be a band of desperate men at bay. Some of our men will, I presume, be put hors de combat. These royalists are good swordsmen, and the Englishman is devilish cunning, and looks very powerful. Still, we shall be five against one at least. You can follow the cart closely with your men, all along the St. Martin's Road, through Michelon. The Englishman is ahead of us, and not likely to look behind him. While he gave these curt and concise orders, he had completed his change of attire. The priest's costume had been laid aside, and he was once more dressed in his usual dark, tight-fitting clothes. At last, he took up his hat. I shall have an interesting prisoner to deliver into your hands, he said with a chuckle, as with unwanted familiarity, he took Descas's arm and led him towards the door. We won't kill him outright, eh, friend Descas? The Pierre Blanchard's hut is, and I mistake not, a lonely spot upon the beach, and our men will enjoy a bit of rough sport there with the wounded fox. Should your men well, friend Descas, of the sort who would enjoy the type of sport, eh? We must see that scarlet pimpernel wither a bit. What? Shrink and tremble, eh? Before we finally... He made an expressive gesture whilst he laughed a low, evil laugh, which filled Marguerite's soul with sickening horror. Choose your men well, Citoyen Descas, he said once more, as he led his secretary finally out of the room. Chapter 27 On the Track Never for a moment did Marguerite Blakeney hesitate. The last sounds outside the Chat Grease had died away in the night. She had heard Descas giving orders to his men, and then starting off towards the fort to get a reinforcement of a dozen more men. Six were not thought sufficient to capture the cunning Englishman, whose resourceful brain was even more dangerous than his valour and his strength. Then a few minutes later, she heard the trader's husky voice again, evidently shouting to his nag. Then the rumble of wheels and noise of a rickety cart bumping over the rough road. Inside the inn, everything was still. Brogard and his wife, terrified of Chauvelin, had given no sign of life. They hoped to be forgotten, and at any rate, to remain unperceived. Marguerite could not even hear their usual volleys of muttered oaths. She waited a moment or two longer, then she quietly slipped down the broken stairs, wrapped her dark cloak closely round her, and slipped out of the inn. The night was fairly dark, sufficiently so at any rate to hide her dark figure from view. Whilst her keen ears kept count of the sounds of the carts going on ahead, she hoped by keeping well within the shadow of the ditches which lined the road that she would not be seen by Descas's men when they approached, or by the patrols 
which she concluded was still on duty. Thus she started to do this, the last stage of her weary journey, alone, at night, and on foot. Nearly three leagues to Michelin, and then on to Pierre Blanchard's hut, wherever the fatal spot might be, probably over rough roads, she cared not. The trader's nag could not get on very fast, and though she was weary with mental fatigue and nerve strain, she knew that she could easily keep up with it on a hilly road with a poor beast who was sure to be half-starved, would have to be allowed long and frequent rests. The road lay some distance from the sea, bordered on either side by shrubs and stunted trees, sparsely covered with meagre foliage, all turning away from the north, with their branches looking in semi-darkness, like stiff, with their branches looking in semi-darkness, like stiff, ghostly hair, blown by a perpetual wind. Fortunately, the moon showed no desire to peep between the clouds, and Marguerite, hugging the edges of the road and keeping close to the low line of shrubs, was fairly safe from view. Everything around her was so still, only from far, very far away, there came like a long, soft moan, the sound of the distant sea. The air was keen and full of brine, after that enforced period of inactivity, inside the evil-smelling, squalid inn. Marguerite would have enjoyed the sweet scent of this autumnal night, and the distant melancholy rumble of the waves. She would have reveled in the calm and stillness of this lonely spot, a calm broken only at intervals by the strident and mournful cry some distant gull, and by the creaking of the wheels, some way down the road, she would have loved the cool atmosphere, the peaceful immensity of nature in this lonely part of the coast. But her heart was too full of cruel foreboding, of a great ache and longing for a being who had become infinitely dear to her. Her feet slipped on the greasy bank, for she thought it safest not to walk near the centre of the road, and she found it difficult to keep up a sharp pace along the muddy incline. She even thought it best not to keep too near to the cart. Everything was so still that the rumble of the wheels could not fail to be a safe guide. The loneliness was absolute, already the few dim lights of Calais lay far behind, and on this road there was not a sign of human habitation, not even the hut of a fisherman or of a woodcutter anywhere near. Far away on her right was the edge of the cliff, below it the rough beach, against which the incoming tide was dashing itself with its constant, distant murmur, and ahead the rumble of the wheels, bearing an impeccable enemy to his triumph. Marguerite wondered at what particular spot on this lonely coast Percy could be at this moment. Not very far, surely, 
for he had had less than a quarter of an hour's start on Chauvelin. She wondered if he knew that in this cool, ocean-scented bit of France, there lurked many spies, all eager to sight his tall figure, to track him to where his unsuspecting friends wait for him, and then to close the net over him and them. Chauvelin, on ahead, jolted and jostled in the trader's vehicle, was nursing comfortable thoughts. He rubbed his hands together with content. He rubbed his hands together with content as he thought of the web which he had woven, and through which that ubiquitous and daring Englishman could not hope to escape. As the time went on, and the old trader drove him leisurely but surely along the dark road, he felt more and more eager for the grand finale of this exciting chase after the mysterious Scarlet Pimpernel. The capture of the audacious plotter would be the finest leaf in Citoyen Chauvelin's wreath of glory. Caught, red-handed, on the spot, in the very act of aiding and abating the traitors against the Republic of France. The Englishman could claim no protection from his own country. Chauvelin had, in any case, fully made up his mind that all intervention should come too late. Never for a moment did the slightest remorse enter his heart as to the terrible position in which he had placed the unfortunate wife who had unconsciously betrayed her husband. As a matter of fact, Chauvelin had ceased even to think of her. She had been a useful tool, that was all. The trader's lean nag did little more than walk. She was going along at a slow jog trot, and her driver had to give her long and frequent halts. Are we a long way yet from Miquelon? asked Chauvelin from time to time. Not very far, your honour, was the uniform, placid reply. We've not yet come across your friend and mine, laying in a heap in the roadway, was Chauvelin's sarcastic comment. Patience, noble excellency, rejoined the old man. They are ahead of us. I can see the imprint of the cart wheels driven by the traitor. You are sure of the road? As sure as I am of the presence of those ten gold pieces in the noble excellence's pocket, which I trust will presently be mine. As soon as I have shaken hands with my friend, the tall stranger, they will certainly be yours. Hark, what was that? said the trader suddenly. Through the stillness, which had been absolute, there could now be heard distinctly the sound of horses' hooves on the muddy road. They are soldiers, he added in an awed whisper. Stop a moment, I want to hear, said Chauvelin. Marguerite had also heard the sound of galloping hooves coming towards the cart and towards herself. For some time she had been on the alert, thinking that Disgas and his squad would overtake soon but these came from the opposite direction, presumably from Miquelon. 
the darkness lent her sufficient cover. She had perceived that the cart had stopped, and with the utmost caution, treaded noiselessly on the soft road. She crept a little nearer. Her heart was beating fast. She was trembling in every limb. Already she had guessed what the news was, what these mounted men would bring. Every stranger on these roads or on the beach must be shadowed, especially if he be tall or stoops as if he would disguise his height. When sighted, a mounted messenger must at once ride back and report. Those had been Chauvelin's orders. Had then the tall stranger been sighted, and was this the mounted messenger come to bring the great news that the hunted hare had run its head into the noose at last? Marguerite, realizing that the cart had come to a standstill, managed to slip near to it in the darkness. She crept close up, hoping to get within earshot. She crept close up, hoping to get within earshot to hear what the messenger had to say. She heard the quick words of challenge. Liberté, fraternité, égalité. Then Chauvelin's quick query. What news? Two men on horseback had halted beside the vehicle. Marguerite could see them silhouetted against the midnight sky. She could hear their voices and the snorting of their horses. And now, behind her, some little distance off, the regular and measured tread of a body of advancing men, Disgas and his soldiers. There had been a long pause, during which, no doubt, Chauvelin satisfied the men as to his identity, for presently, questions and answers followed each other in quick succession. You have seen the strangers? asked Chauvelin eagerly. No, Citoyen, we have seen no tall stranger. We came by the edge of the cliff. Then, less than a quarter of a league beyond Mikolon, we came across a rough construction of wood which looked like the hut of a fisherman where he might keep his tools and nets. When we first sighted it, it seemed to be empty, and at first we thought that there was nothing suspicious about it until we saw some smoke issuing through an aperture at the side. I dismounted and crept close to it. It was then empty, but in one corner of the hut there was a charcoal fire, and a couple of stools were also in the hut. I consulted with my comrades, and we decided that they should take cover with the horses, well out of sight, and that I should remain on the watch, which I did. Well, and did you see anything? About half an hour later, I heard voices, Citoyen, and presently, two men came along towards the edge of the cliff. They seemed to me to have come to the Lillet Road. One was young, the other quite old. They were talking in a whisper to one another, and I could not hear what they said. One was young, the other quite old. Marguerite's aching heart almost stopped beating as she listened. Was the young one Amand, her brother, and the old one de Tournay? Were they the two fugitives who, unconsciously, were used as a decoy to entrap their fearless and noble rescuer? 
The two men presently went into the hut, continued the soldier, whilst Marguerite's aching nerves seemed to catch the sound of Chauvelin's triumphant chuckle. And I crept nearer to it then. The hut is very roughly built, and I caught snatches of their conversation. Yes? Quick, what did you hear? The old man asked the young one if he was sure that this was the right place. Oh yes, he replied. Tis the place sure enough. And by the light of the charcoal fire, he showed to his companion a paper which he carried. Here is the plan, he said, which he gave me before I left London. We were to adhere strictly to that plan, unless I had a contrary order, and I have had none. Here is the road we followed, see? Here the fork. Here we cut across the St. Martin Road, and here is the footpath which led us to the edge of the cliff. I must have made a slight noise then, for the young man came to the door of the hut and peered anxiously all round him. When he again joined his companion, they whispered so low that I could no longer hear them. Well, and? asked Chauvelin impatiently. There were six of us altogether, patrolling that part of the beach, so we consulted together and thought it best that four should remain behind and keep the hut in sight and I had my comrade ride back at once to make report of what we had seen. You saw nothing of the tall stranger? Nothing, Citoyen. If your comrades see him, what would they do? And if he showed signs of escape, or any boat came in sight, they would close in on him, and, if necessary, they would shoot. The firing would bring the rest of the patrol to the spot. In any case, they would not let the stranger go. Aye, but I did not want the stranger hurt, not yet, murmured Chauvelin savagely. But there, you've done your best. The fates grant that I may not be too late. We met half a dozen men just now, who've been patrolling this road for several hours. Well, they have seen no stranger either. Yet he is on ahead somewhere, in a cart or else. Here, there is no mention to loose. How far is it, that hut from here? About a couple of leagues, Citoyenne. You can find it again, at once, without hesitation. I have absolutely no doubt, Citoyenne. The footpath to the edge of the cliff, even in the dark... It is not a dark night, Citoyen, and I know I can find my way, repeated the soldier firmly. Fall in behind, then. Let your comrade take both your horses back to Calais. You won't want them. Keep beside the cart and direct the trader to drive straight ahead, then stop him within a quarter of a league of the footpath. See that he takes the most direct route. Whilst Chauvelin spoke, Desgas and his men were fast approaching, and Marguerite could hear their footsteps within a hundred yards behind her now. She thought it unsafe to stay where she was, and unnecessary too, and she had heard enough. She seemed suddenly to have lost all faculty even for suffering, 
Her heart, her nerves, her brain seemed to have become numb after all these hours of ceaseless anguish, culminating in this awful despair. For now there was absolutely no faint hope. Within two short leagues of this spot, the fugitives were waiting for their brave deliverer. He was on his way, somewhere on this lonely road, and presently he would join them. Then the well-laid trap would close. Two dozen men, led by one whose hatred is as deadly as his cunning was malicious, would close round the small band of fugitives and their daring leader. They would all be captured. Amand, according to Chauvelin's pledged word, would be restored to her. But her husband, Percy, whom with every breath she drew she seemed to love and worship more and more, he would fall into the hands of a remorseless enemy who had no pity for a brave heart, no admiration for the courage of a noble soul, who would show nothing but hatred for the cunning antagonist who had baffled him so long. She heard the soldiers giving a few brief directions to the trader, then she retired quickly to the edge of the road and cowered behind some low shrubs whilst Desgas and his men came up. All fell in noiselessly behind the cart, and slowly they all started down the road. Marguerite waited until she reckoned that they were well outside the range of earshot. Then, she too in the darkness, which suddenly seemed to have become more intense, crept noiselessly along 